you like what you're hearing, put your money where your media is by subscribing to independent podcasts like this one. Go to lauraflanders.org slash membership. And thanks. Hi, I'm Laura Flanders, and this is The Laura Flanders Show, the TV and radio program that seeks to raise radical spirits by interviewing forward-thinking people with real models of shifting power from the worlds of arts, entrepreneurship, politics, and activism. Our wars abroad and our wars at home. This week on the show, acclaimed graphic artist Molly Crabapple and Syrian journalist Marwan Hisham join me to talk about their collaborative book, Brothers of the Gun. Then, a report by Jonathan Klett on a community in Wisconsin that mobilized to greet the Republicans attending a Trump fundraiser. Voces de la Frontera. It's all coming up on The Laura Flanders Show, the place where the people who say it can't be done take a back seat to the people who are doing it. Welcome. At the heart of the memoir by one of today's guests is a question. Will I be excused from blame or am I just another monster? Living in the city of Raqqa, Marwan Hisham, a Syrian journalist who came of age during the Arab Spring, finds himself at one and the same time reporting on ISIS and the other militia group members who are waging the Syrian civil war and serving them tea, an internet service at a cafe where he works. His book, a collaboration with the artist Molly Crabapple, who was last on this show with her memoir, Drawing Blood, places readers at the intimate center of a deadly catastrophe we know too little about in this country. But it raises a question that isn't his alone. Survivors, observers, aren't we too asking ourselves, will we be excused? Aren't we, too, also in many ways enablers of war, even as we're horrified by it? And what role does art play in helping us all grapple with this dilemma? Brothers of the Gun, a memoir of the Syrian war, written by Hisham and illustrated by Crabapple, is out now from One World Books. Hisham, not his real name, but the name he goes by, is joining via Skype from where he now lives in Turkey. Marwan, Molly, great to have you back. Thank I you. feel like we have a little connection with this book because as I remember it, Molly, you were leaving to talk with Marwan right after we last spoke about, about your last book. What happened? At that time, uh, me and Marwan were in the middle of our collaboration and he was still uh, living in Raqqa at that time and working as a journalist who's doing stuff for the New York Times and foreign policy. And as you know, uh, to work as a journalist in Raqqa was something of profound bravery. Uh, Syrian journalists were routinely murdered by ISIS as spies. And right before I went on air with you, um, that was when all of the internet cafes were closed in Raqqa. And I didn't know when I was going to hear from Marwan again. So it's such an honor that like, I come back here and we've done this whole book together. It's beautiful. Marwan, tell us a little bit about where we are speaking to you now and, and why you're now living in Turkey. So uh, at some level, it was uh, impossible to stay in Raqqa and ISIS because uh, especially in 2016, they get really paranoid. and It became risky to, to stay there. So I had no other option but to leave and come to Turkey. I wanted to, you know, do more. I wanted to go back one day. I wanted to witness this war from, you know, from the beginning to the end. So that's why I decided to stay in Turkey and not go to Europe, like or many Syrians uh, here in Turkey. 
Well, Marwan and you with Marwan have, have already seen a lot of this war. It's not over and it feels like many wars. Um, but at the heart of this book is the story of the brothers, of, of, of three men coming up in the same period and dividing in different ways. Can you just sort of lay out for people who haven't gotten themselves a copy of the book yet what's in it? The book is, a, is Marwan's story and also the story of uh, two brothers, Tarek and Nael. Nael, before the revolution, uh, was a working class guy who was able to get into the best art school in the country and wanted to be, wanted to be a visual artist. But when he was arrested at an anti-regime protest and when he witnessed uh, the security forces brutally torturing and religiously humiliating people, he decided that a peaceful protest alone wouldn't work against the regime, that the regime was too brutal. And he uh, joined the armed resistance to the government and died fighting against the government. His brother Tarek was at this point in Beirut where he was studying Arabic literature and writing poetry and he had a cool motorcycle. He was living a life that like any young guy would have wanted. But he was so affected by his brother's death that he decided to come back to Syria and to also uh, join a rebel group in order to uh, avenge his brother's death. And he ended up joining an Islamist rebel group called Ahrar Sham. The cover is a picture of Tarek. Um, Marwan, can you tell us a little bit about that picture and then we'll hear how Molly created the beautiful image that she did? So the picture uh, was taken from Tarek's uh, social media. Basically, uh, in his last days, when he was in Aleppo after long journey with lots of battles, defeats after defeats, he ended up in uh, Aleppo countryside. He wasn't at the front at that time. Most of his time in Aleppo, he was uh, basically doing uh, uh, more like administrative job and special missions. And uh, uh, so he had lots of time to think about everything and towards the end he, he changed. He, he was a, a, an Arabic literature uh, graduate and he used to write poetry and post it on, uh, on his Facebook. So uh, at some level he was really nostalgic about the, the normal life, about perhaps the old days. Although his AK at that time was his uh, companion throughout all the journey we're going to call Marwan back to get a better line, but yeah. this cover conveys so beautifully the, the, what you brought to this collaborative project in the sense that you are working off a photograph, but you are capturing the essence that goes way beyond this individual. Talk a little bit while we call Marwan back about how this process worked and what your goals were in, with the illustrations, which are way more than illustrations, really. Thank, thank you so much. So the cover image of Tarek is actually pretty unusual in the book because most of the photos that I drew directly from were photos that Marwan took himself, uh, photos he took in Raqqa, in Mosul under the ISIS occupation, and also in rebel-held East Aleppo. So he was out there secretly taking these pictures exactly. at tremendous risk to his yeah. life. Exactly, exactly. He took these pictures at immense risk, but it's because he's such an incredibly brave journalist and because he believes in the power of art to convey something that other mediums perhaps cannot. But then other images, uh, we were trying to do images that Marwan couldn't have taken photos of, right? Like when he was, you know, a boy in religious school, 
or images of protests, perhaps. Uh, and so for stuff like that, I, I relied in part on the huge wealth of citizen video that there is about the Syrian war. Uh, for the images of protests, I might take a um, hundred screenshots, perhaps, of several videos of the same protests, and I would print them all out, and I would lay them out, and then sometimes I would even repose models in the positions because the, the images were so blurry that the people just looked like smudges, you know, when it was screenshot. But then other images, I relied on Marwan's memory. And, and I believe that each of these drawings, they're both of ours. They're not just mine. Uh, Marwan art directed this book. He would uh, do rough sketches. He would sometimes even pose. He would describe in the most uh, accurate and meticulous way what he wanted. And he is lethal to cliches. <laughs> if he saw something that was like a Western cliche, he was like red pen of death. No, no, no. <laughs> This is the Laura Flanders Show. I'm Laura. That's graphic artist Molly Crabapple. She's joining me in studio. Joining us via Skype from Turkey is the Syrian journalist she collaborated with. He goes by the name of Marwan Hisham. We're talking about Brothers of the Gun, an intimate memoir written by Marwan, illustrated by Molly, and out now from One World Press. You just heard him describing the painfully poignant image Molly created for the cover. Coming up more on their long-distance collaboration and the power of art to bring something that is for many of us remote, close, namely the Syrian civil war. No state solution. Governments don't get us for answer. Eh? Now we, we suppose find solution for ourselves. We still live as one people. Now so say wahala government cost. Now we still find. listening to No State Solution by Free Radicals featuring Marcos, remixed by La Candon. It's the title track from their latest full-length album featuring reworked selections from their previous six and favorites from their archive. They're calling the project a, quote, rejection of corrupt governments and a celebration of the communities that already have answers if they can only throw off their mental and physical chains. Well, we here on the Laura Flanders Show celebrate people who throw off and break out of chains, and we believe media can help, but we can't do it alone. Right now, we're crowdsourcing a special report on the disability rights movement. It's been quite a year for them. They're experts in throwing off chains. We're just a few thousand short of our goal. We need $10,000 to co-produce and co-host with the Centers for Independent Living a special shot at their annual conference in D.C. This year's theme is Mobilize, Resistance in Action, and we want to bring back the story to our viewers and listeners. Will you do your part and help us? That's www.lauraflanders.org forward slash donate to give. At that website, you can also watch the TV version of this show and see some of the illustrations our guest Molly Crabapple's been talking about. Her book with Marwan Hisham, Brothers of the Gun, tells a pretty tragic story of three men who were friends and how the Syrian civil war in many ways drove them apart. 
It's a dehumanizing situation on the ground and in the coverage, and Molly and Marwan were determined to produce something different. Maybe it's too much to ask an artist, what do you want your work to achieve? But is it fair to say that I feel that what your work is asking me to do is put myself in this picture or at least relate on a very intimate level with the people, not just the destruction? Exactly. Is that that the right response? I think (laughs) think that's a perfect response. I mean, you know, people from the Middle East and and Syrians, um, particularly, they're so dehumanized in the West, right? Uh, For a conservative, they're the terrorist boogeyman. But even for a lot of liberals, they're just like a pitiful refugee that you want to give charity to. And and these are such like degrading, undignified roles, right? And so me and Marwan, we wanted to portray Syrians with all of the depth and interiority and nuance that um, anyone deserves. And we also wanted to portray the complexity of the war because a lot of times here, it's seen as like a secular, if very brutal dictator versus ISIS. And that in no way captures um, the intense complexity of, of what's going on and also the harrowing choices that people are forced to make inside the war. And one thing that me and Marwan often talk about is that the first step to making state crimes okay is the dehumanization of the people that are the victims. And so in some ways, I hope that this is a, a blow against that. Marwan, we've got you back to illustrate this complexity and the, and the situation that you're in, can you talk about that am I a monster, just another monster moment um, when the women come into your uncle's cafe? Can you just describe or, or go back to that moment for our viewers and talk a little bit about that experience? So that particular moment, when I started working at the cafe, I wanted to know about the, those people and meet them and interact with them. But uh, I stayed there for two to three months and it became part of my everyday life. I was in daily contact with those people and met lots of them. At this point, you took uh, ISIS fighters mostly. I barely was able to catch up with the news. But then I started to hear about the Yazidi suffering and by ISIS from the internet. And uh, I didn't know exactly how it meant for those enslaved women, those captured women, until this scene shocked me uh, when the, those women came with other ISIS women. And uh, I looked at their eyes and uh, I saw something that is really uh, unbelievable, so tragic. And so it shocked me. It, uh, I, I immediately felt guilty as if I'm not just as someone who is in that cafe, who maybe they looked at me as, you know, one of them. Uh, but, but also, just being a Sunni Arab, uh, I felt guilty for, for this, but uh, there was nothing uh, I could do, nothing most of the people could do. We, we were basically just trying to survive. But then you see uh, what happened to, to uh, this community. You can't help but feel that the, the whole the whole situation, the whole war here, how how, how we got up to this point. So even participating in the protest would felt like wrong at that uh, at that specific point. Yeah. So let me ask you, Molly: Is it is it shedding differences? Is it cheap to say to make this about us as well and say but we're also in a similar quandary? I don't think it's cheap. I mean, I think questions of complicity 
uh, questions of what's the moral thing to do and what's not the moral thing to do in some ways are um, even sharper here because we have so much more luxury. We, we don't get tortured. Well, some people get tortured if they protest, but a much smaller amount of people will get this will happen to. Uh, there are not police firing live ammunition at protests generally here. And I, I often uh, think of our complicity around issues like, like mass incarceration issues around the fact that it's police routinely murder black people in this country. And U.S. forces have sort of obliterated, not sort of, have obliterated Raqqa in the name of trying to save it or Exactly. U.S. And I'm not sure if you saw, but uh, an amazing website called Air Wars, which uh, meticulously documents uh, civilian casualties. The U.S. killed uh, 9,600 civilians, at least in Raqqa and Mosul, in their battle against ISIS, uh, the U.S.-led coalition forces, I should say. They destroyed the vast majority of Raqqa. In our book, uh, we have an illustration that's from video that Marwan shot, which is perhaps one of the first uh, civilian casualties in Raqqa. Um, a young man named Ismail who was working at a secu- as, who was working as a security guard at a factory, and yes, the U.S. the U.S. completely obliterated uh, vast swaths of Marwan city, and in fact, Marwan was the first person to break the news of the U.S. airstrikes. And we sit with that, but most often we don't actually sit with that. It just kind of happens in the background. Um, Marwan, if you had a goal for this book, specifically for U.S. audiences and maybe the kind of people that are are watching this show today, well-meaning, intelligent, deep-thinking, forward-thinking people, um, what's your message to us? How can we help bring this situation to a some kind of peaceful resolution? Well, I think uh, pressure on the um, American government is always necessary because any change in their policy, I mean, America can help so much in this regard, although it's also part of the problem. All of these countries that are involved in Syria, all of them have inflicted damage on the whole country and they were a reason for its destruction. But also they hold the key for uh, any solution. And... uh, America, in my opinion, has the uh, uh, is obligated to rebuild Raqqa because they destroyed it, and not just Raqqa. All of these mm. uh, cities and towns they've uh, bombed uh, relentlessly, and uh, most of them now are ruins. So the obligation to rebuild what we've helped to destroy, but we're not, we have a rotten track record at that. We do. But but also, I mean, Raqqa right now is a ruin. There are 6,000 reports of civilian, or we don't know, there's 6,000 reports of bodies rotting in buildings that we destroyed. We're not even giving money for demining. And, um, you know, a lot of this stuff, it's not like American forces need to go do it. There's plenty of competent people in Raqqa that can do that. It's just that America isn't giving trucks, it's not giving demining equipment, it's not giving money. And I, I do think that when you level a city, you do have to do that. You can't just destroy a city and leave it littered with rotting human remains and rubble and people living in those ruins and then just wipe your hands of it because you don't want to spend money, which is essentially what's happening. I feel like leaving this interview right there, not coming to some tidy, good-feeling conclusion 
Um, your book is beautiful and very stirring. And the stories in it are intimate and put us right in the center of it, us, the reader. Uh, and I just want to thank you and really encourage people to pick up this book and think about their quandaries apropos of this war, these series of wars. And hope that we get to talk to you both again soon. Molly, Marwan, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. That was graphic artist Molly Crabapple with Syrian journalist Marwan Hisham. For more information on their book collaboration, Brothers of the Gun, which is out now from One World Press, go to our website. That's www.lauraflanders.org. Next, we head to Wisconsin for a special report filed by Jonathan Klett on the hundreds of Wisconsinites who came out to disrupt a Trump fundraiser in Milwaukee last month. It was organized by Voces de la Frontera and led by their student arm, YES, that stands for Youth Empowered in Struggle. The marches called for the abolition of ICE and an end to family separation, and the organizing brought the community together too. We wanted to disrupt because it's not business as usual. When you have kids that are being um, damaged, uh, tortured uh, by this official policy, and uh, they really haven't taken their foot off the gas, a little bit because of pressure. They really haven't. The politics of Walker and Ryan and Trump are all cut from the same cloth. And we stand together to say you're not gonna divide us against one another. I have so much respect for the youth leaders that we have. So there's a lot of love in that movement, a lot of sacrifice and a lot of bravery. I get energy from that and that keeps me going. undocumented and a DACA recipient from Mexico City. Just graduated high school in Racing, Wisconsin. Every day our kids and our families don't know what to do, are living in fear. As the community of Wisconsin and Milwaukee especially, we are here to make sure Trump listens. Stop separating families. Kids do not belong in cages. People from Milwaukee, Sheboygan, Waukesha, Racine, we're here in solidarity for all our people in the struggle. I think it's astonishing how they forget that they were immigrants at one point too. America is already great with all the immigrants and all the cultures that we have in this country, all the languages that we speak, but that's something that he can't understand. As you can see, we have a lot of police behind us. Um, I'm not sure what they're planning to do. We haven't been issued a warning or anything yet, so it seems as if they're almost compliant with it. No matter their race, religion, or creed, we are here for everyone, and that's a statement for all of my people. I just graduated from Harlech High School, and uh, I'm a rebel, I guess you could say. We might be relocating. I'm not sure. Just to, you know, see, see what we can do. No border, no nation. Being part of a family, being part of an immigrant community, I want to represent my community. I want to be the voice to all of those children that are in suffering. I want to be the voice to all of those families that are in pain 
to tell Trump, stop acting like the hero because you are not the hero. You are the villain in this story. We want action. We don't want words. This is our people. So let's hear what real values is. What really makes America great. Let's give a loyal hand to Isabel. Imagine a seven-year-old on the phone was her dad saying he was picked up by ICE and was not coming home. I was that little girl. My life was shattered that day. It has been almost six years since I felt my father's arms around me. Alicia, who's just been a champion with her and her kids and the whole family in, uh, in getting our voices heard. You know, my kids, he's their rock. Half of their emotional support system and love has just been torn away from them. When we go to visit him, they take the phone. My son was trying to bang on the glass, try to break the glass so then he could just give his father a hug. I will do anything for my children, and we're just going to keep fighting until my kids get what they need, which is their father. My kids, his children, are heartbroken, and I am here speaking on his behalf to demand the immediate release of Franco Ferreira. We fight every day, and we're going to keep fighting every day. To Donald Trump and all of his wealthy benefactors, shame on them! Shame on them! Excerpt from a special report by Laura Flanders Show graduate Jonathan Klett. Thanks, Jonathan. The members of Voces de la Frontera, based in Wisconsin, took to the streets to greet Donald Trump in Milwaukee last month. You can see the full video and watch our entire show at our website, www.lauraflanders.org. Check it out. This show is produced by yours truly, Laura Flanders, with Tammy Hamada Waranoff, Monica Mohapatra, Danica D'Souza, Diego Romero Montiel, Jeannie Hopper, and Mira Al Rahim. Write to me. Tell me what you think. I like to hear from you. That's Laura, L A U R A, at lauraflanders.com, and I do my best to respond. The program's made possible by the Novo Foundation and listeners like you. Become a member today. Thanks for your ongoing support. We couldn't do it without you. Stay kind, stay curious. Till the next time, I'm Laura Flanders. Thank you.